0: Old Testament reading for the 19th Sunday after Pentecost is from Isaiah chapter 5. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge But behold, bloodshed for righteousness. But behold, an outcry. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Jesus said, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it. And dug a winepress in it, and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. When the season for the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death, and let out the vineyard to other tenants, who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father. from our lord and savior jesus christ amen you may be seated i find the end of all of this to be almost comical because it says that when the chief priests and the pharisees heard his parables they perceived that he was speaking about them oh really These are some of the most obvious parables Jesus gives. This one and the one we heard last week. And that context is important. He had just told them before this parable that the tax collectors and the prostitutes were entering the kingdom before them. The people they despised. The people they looked down on and thought they were so much more righteous and holy than them. Jesus said, they entered before you... You saw it, and you did not repent. You didn't repent. You saw this, and you did not repent. Religious leaders were clearly the aim of that one. He told them so. And he tells them again here, and they know this too from the Old Testament. We heard Isaiah 5. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. And then it goes on to tell how God did everything for his people, Israel. He even says in the song, what more could I have done that I did not do? And yet, it didn't produce anything good. Nothing good came out of it. In fact, Isaiah is prophesying their destruction. They would be judged by the Lord. Jesus picks up on that imagery here. And there's another story very, very similar to Isaiah 5 and to what Jesus tells. Perhaps you're familiar with it. 1 Kings chapter 21. The story of Naboth's vineyards. Naboth was a righteous man. And King Ahab, the wicked King Ahab, and his wicked wife Jezebel schemed To steal it from him. Because he would not sell it to the king. It was his family's land. in the promised land. You weren't supposed to sell it. And so. If you know the story. The king and queen get. These rotten men. To accuse Naboth of blasphemy. Then they get him stoned to death. And then they take. His vineyard. See, that too is in the background here because that is a picture of everything the religious leaders are trying to do to Jesus. It's the Lord's vineyard and they're trying to steal it. And also, as Jesus tells us, there's a little more in the background that we hear in Hebrews 11. This is the kind of stuff that Israel did to their prophets. Others suffered mocking and flogging. And even chains and imprisonments they were stoned they were sawn in two they were killed with the sword they went about in skins of sheep and goats destitute afflicted mistreated of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth see all of these things are in the background of our lord's parable And the religious leaders, they know this. They know all of this. The interesting thing is, though, whenever you hear one of our Lord's parables, the thing to look for, the thing you want to hone in on, is what's the thing that's just kind of ridiculous, that stands out and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Two weeks ago, it was that the master of the vineyard paid Everybody the same out of his grace and mercy. Those who worked two hours got paid for a full day's wage. Here, the strange thing is, is that after the master of the vineyard sent servants and more servants and more servants. And even after they were beaten and killed and treated horribly the master next decided to send his son that's kind of ridiculous because even the Pharisees and the chief priests they say he's going to send in an army and destroy them well that's what he should have done before sending his son so a question I asked a couple weeks ago is a question that comes up here who does this? who acts in such a reckless way? It's our Lord's. He does this out of his love. Think back, if you will, to Genesis 3 15. The promise that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The whole Bible is about God fulfilling and keeping that promise. Remember when Abraham is given the covenant and he has a dream and, and he has this dream, he has to keep the birds away from the carcasses of the animals that are split in two and it's a dream of god showing up and passing between them it's a weird story but why is it there because those animals represent the one who makes the covenant saying if i don't keep my end of the bargain if i don't come through then i should be torn apart like these animals well who made the covenant with abraham it was god himself we misread the old Testament if we don't understand that god since the beginning has been suffering with and for his people if you know that story then it does begin to make a little sense that he would send his son because he made a promise that to his own hurts he would keep that promise That he would do whatever it takes to rescue and save his people. So Jesus tells this parable and it couldn't be more clear. God sent prophets. And the religious leaders rejected them. Finally, God sent his son. And what are they doing as Jesus is telling it? They're rejecting God's son. They want nothing to do with him. In fact, indeed, they want him dead. And they understand the severity of what should happen. Literally, they say something to the effect of, put these wretches to a wretched death. That's what should happen to them. They speak against themselves. Can you imagine? And what will happen? Jesus says the vineyard will go to others. So in 70 A.D., an event I don't think we consider enough its significance, Jerusalem is destroyed. Everything is torn down, just as Jesus had said. From that point on, the church is largely made up of Gentiles. It was indeed given to others. These religious leaders had failed. The nation had failed. But there's also another part that is even more significant that we cannot overlook because it brings all of it together jesus tells them have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this was the lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes psalm 118 it's fascinating the verse is right before this talk about the sacrifice being bound to the altar and jesus is telling them he's telling us the son does suffer and die and yet that stone that was rejected that becomes the cornerstone of the entire thing of the entire church it's a promise of the resurrection That's why the very next verse that Jesus doesn't quote is This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What day? Easter. The day of our Lord's resurrection. And in fact, the very next parable, I believe, is significant. In chapter 22, the king's son is going to get married, there's a wedding feast. Just like psalm 22 the son dies and at the end he rises again to be the good shepherd of psalm 23 here the son is put to death but he's raised up so that he can have a wedding feast and luther's explanation here is beautiful he says god gave them this precious cornerstone but they didn't know what to do with it they looked at it and said this stone is ugly it's worthless throw it out So they take Christ and they cast him off. And God comes along and says, no, this stone is perfect. On it, I'm going to build all all of my people. I'm going to build my church. It's that stone that is the most important stone. Jesus uses the stone imagery further when he says, those who reject me will be broken in pieces on the stone. Were crushed by it. That is, they will suffer God's wrath. I want to make two important applications from this beautiful parable that Jesus tells us. I call it beautiful because it ends beautifully, with the Son's death and resurrection for us. The first application is to pastors and leaders in the church. I have in my office a painting. It was one of the gifts that the church in Pagosa gave me as a going-away present by my favorite living artist, the Lutheran artist, Ed Riojas. And it is a painting of this parable. And in this painting, Ed has the walls of it as the Ten Commandments. They're written on all the walls. These are the walls of the vineyards. And the wine press that is dug out before the vineyard is Christ on the cross, and his holy blood is going into the wine vats. And the blood from his side is going into the water trough within the vineyards. And the tower that's built, he has a beautiful church there. And within that vineyard are a bunch of workers. Some who you won't recognize, but others you would. Including a modern day person, President Matt Harrison of the LCMS, is working in that vineyard. And outside are others from the Reformation and present times being called in to work in the vineyards. It's a beautiful painting. It summarizes all of this quite beautifully. Why is President Harrison there, though? Well, one, a modern Lutheran might recognize him and understand that this parable is told not just to the Pharisees and the chief priests, but to all pastors and all leaders throughout time, throughout space. And it is indeed, it's an attack, it's a rebuke of any pastor, any leader who would reject Jesus and his words, who would try to work in the Lord's vineyards and do it in their own way without God, without his words. You may ask yourself how is that possible well look around at how many churches don't preach christ how many churches belittle god's sacraments of baptism and the lord's supper how many churches teach things that are so contrary to scripture you look at it and say you're saying the opposite of what god says this parable is a call to pastors to teach and preach and administer the sacraments in accordance with God's holy word, or face the consequences. It is a warning to all preachers and teachers, to all leaders in the church, that the church must be built on the cornerstone that is Christ. So it's a call to the leaders and pastors of this church that we must build on God's word on what he says, on his son, and not on what we think is best or what we think is right, but only what God says is right and best. This even includes tradition. Every church has traditions. The question always is, are they good or are they bad? Do they point you to Christ or away from Christ? Are they in line with his word, or are they opposed to it? And so the leaders of the church must always be asking and wrestling with these questions to make sure that all that we do, all that we are, is in accordance with God's holy words. Or, Jesus says, they will suffer the consequences. But what about everybody else? Is it just a call to the pastors and leaders? No, there's a call to the individuals as well. There is a danger, too, of the laity, all of you, rejecting the truth. There's a danger of elevating personal preferences, what you want, over what God says is good and right for you. There is a danger of taking for granted God's word in his sacraments. Or coming to his vineyard, to his church, and treating them like good luck charms. Like ancient Israel did with the Ark of the Covenant. They thought they could manipulate God. They took the covenant into battle. And the Lord had them routed and the Ark of the Covenant taken from them. Whenever the people of God reject the pastors who are bringing them the true teaching of the words, Jesus says they're rejecting God and his teaching. And so Jesus says, you can either be built up as a living stone on the cornerstone, or you can be crushed and broken by it. Jesus tells us he's looking for a people producing fruits. That is, he wants us, all of us, pastors and people, to have faith in the Son. And then to produce the works that flow from that faith. Elsewhere, Jesus tells us that he is the vine and we are the branches and that we can only, only survive if we abide in him, if we are connected to him. We must abide in him Here in his vineyard, we must receive his word and his sacraments in faith. He wants us connected to him. He wants us to delight in the marvelous thing the Lord has done in sending his son to die and rise again, and sending his son to rescue and redeem us. He wants us to marvel at it and rejoice that this is the day the Lord has made for he is here with his good gifts so he's gathered you here today to his vineyards the one who was the rejected cornerstone but who god took and placed right at the key point of the building to build the whole thing on it that same one comes and he feeds you at his table he gives you the fruit of his death and resurrection And what did he tell us? This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the most marvelous, magnificent thing that's ever happened. And so tonight we get to rejoice that God would love us so much that he would actually send his son to save us, even though our sinful flesh is constantly rejecting him and casting him out, just as those wicked tenants did. God has done everything to save us, even to his own hurt, even to the death of his own son. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.